0: What's happening everybody? Welcome into the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your premier resource for everything Ohio State news and athletics. My name is Colton Denning and I am your host coming to you on September 20th, 2017 from Boulder, Colorado. It is Wednesday. Glad to have you guys listen to the show. Before we get started, want to make sure you guys know where to find the show. So be sure to go to SoundCloud.com. Slash Land Grant Holy Land. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. Subscribe, leave a review, find all the old shows there, and of course, don't forget to go to Land and follow us on Twitter at landgrant thirty three. Today we are going to break down Ohio State's fourth game of the season, and that's against the UNLV Running Rebels. And to do that, I am joined by the college manager for SB Nation, my buddy and Land Grant contributor, Matt Brown. Matt, always uh, nice to talk about Ohio State after a win instead of last week after a loss, right? It's it's a, it's a lot more fun and it's always good to talk about Ohio State
1: period with you. I mean, like th- this was this was uh, you know, it's difficult to peel me away from NBA 2K at this point or from uh, my actual work. Um, uh, but I think so highly of this product that I'm going to actually step away from for both those things here for a minute to break down what we saw and what 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 is what is coming ahead. because I, I, the next couple of weeks don't seem on paper as as interesting of games maybe as as what we saw at the beginning of the year.
0: I, I think too, that in Ohio State's case, we're going to learn a lot in these next couple of weeks, even, despite the opponents being you know not i would say middle of the season big, big 10 quality opponents like they're going to see later on with Iowa with Penn State with Michigan at the end of the year i still think these next couple of games provide some good opportunities for us to find out where this team is going to be by that time yeah so so that that's that's
1: fair the the entire work product I mean, not not work product. The, the entire game itself may not necessarily be the most interesting for all four quarters, and and if it is, especially this weekend, God help all of us. Uh, but but you're right. There there are things that we can glean and in, in some insights to be had here. I guess let's go ahead and just jump right into it, right? Because this is a, the our opponent this the opponent this weekend. UNLV is a team Ohio State's never played, and I think it is entirely possible that a good chunk of our listenership. Has literally never watched a UNLV, UNLV football game, ever. I think in, in my in my life, I think I've watched maybe three. It's it's a team that's consistently not very good and often plays at night or in weird time slots, and there hasn't been a super compelling reason to make unlv football appointment television if you live in the east or central time zones
0: well if you have heard of unlv this season it's probably because they lost to howard in the first game of the year and it was the biggest point spread upset in college football history howard i want to say was 600 to 1 had 600 to 1 odds of winning that game so biggest point spread upset in college football history they lost that game 43 to 40. They won their second game of the season against Idaho 44 to 16. And you know how you said before the season when we did our preview podcast that any team that loses to Kansas should be immediately disqualified from being in the preseason top 25. I feel like that should apply to any team that loses to a Mike London head coach team. You should have to go down to FCS for a season. So UNLV, you're you're gone. You're down for a year. I don't
1: disagree. I and it's look teams lose to FCS squads, uh, especially if you're you know in the the bottom forty college football teams in terms of like talent acquisition or something. Like if UNLV plays a good FCS team every year, they lose occasionally. Um, Howard, you know, is not one of those teams and it's clear that they've improved a lot they gave Kent State everything that they could handle but uh it's like that's been one of the worst HBCUs for a long time so you know that it's looking at the box score and looking at some of the highlights it seems like UNLV was a little bit unlucky to lose that game They, they probably outplayed Howard through most of it but still like that you know there's it's, it's not excusable. They were 40-something point favorites here for, for a reason. That and, and you know, looking at the rest of their schedule, it's really unfortunate if you happen to be emotionally invested in UNLV football because that might be the game that takes them out of, of contention, which is something that they need pretty badly.
0: UNLV right now ranks 104th in S&P+, 56th in defensive S&P+. And a phrase that gets thrown around a lot is, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And I think that this UNLV team is the complete opposite because they have some really nice players, especially on offense, but the hole is pretty terrible and the, and the sum of everything is bad. But starting offensively for them, redshirt freshman quarterback Armani Rogers is a kid that came in with a ton of hype. There were comparisons to Cam Newton before the start of the season, and like you can take that with a massive block of salt, but... The fact remains is that he's a very exciting player. He's played well in the first two games of the season. He's averaging over 11 yards per attempt. And for a freshman – I think that UNLV definitely has an eye towards the future with how he's played. And then there's junior running back Lexington Thomas, who's off to a hell of a start. He has over 341 yards rushing and five TDs in his first two games. And he's averaging over nine yards per carry. So it's not like this UNLV team, despite being a bad team, can't do anything. They have a very explosive attack. And I I think that we can see them at least test Ohio State defensively in a couple of ways. And we'll learn more about what Ohio State's strengths and weaknesses defensively are going forward? Yeah, there's this
1: is not this is not an,
0: an option team, but I think there are a, li- a little bit of similarities
1: from what we saw last week with Army in that UNLV is definitely a team that wants to run first, run second, and then set up a. Uh, you know, play action pass, you know, kind of kind of situations here, and they're they're gonna give the ball to their quarterback. They're gonna give it to multiple running backs. They're 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 gonna use some misdirection. And I think that we saw that Ohio State's linebackers have some room to grow. I think in in terms of of uh, of of their awareness and and tackling in space and and not over no not over committing on some of those plays. Although over the course of the game, they they did much better. Against Army, but the, the I think Ohio State's ability to project their big advantage with the defensive line will be much easier and much more manifest against UNLV than it, it is against like the constant cut blocking uh, of, of an army. Like let, let, let's be clear. UNLV is probably going to be able to move the ball on a couple of drives. They, they're, they're very efficient running the football right now. Uh, Ohio State has been one of the best teams in the country in in terms of of stopping non-option <laughs> related running plays. They have superior talent at every level. It's like a thirty something point line. This should not be competitive. Uh, certainly not going by the end of the you know midway through the third quarter. This this should be a a game that is already decided. So then I think the question is, what are you looking to see? Assume, because it seems like, I, I, w- I would think that if Ohio State wins this game by less than three touchdowns, it, it's not really a success.
0: I agree with that. And I think from a defensive perspective, you you mentioned the linebackers. And a player that we saw in his first real action last week was linebacker Tuff Borland and, and Chris Worleystead. He looked pretty damn good. And so on an individual basis, he's probably the guy that I'm looking to most to see how he does in I don't know if he's going to get full game reps. He's listed as an or starter with Whirly. We'll see if he's able to play and how much he's able to play with that foot sprain. But I would assume that Tough Borland's going to get a lot of run this week, and I want to see how the the middle of that defense goes against, like you're saying, a very efficient run game. It's one that hasn't gone backwards in a limited sample. They're fourth in stuff rate. So let's see if Ohio State's defensive line is able to get into the backfield and generate some open space for the linebackers, especially somebody like Borland and Jerome Baker, who I keep mentioning it on these podcasts. Like, where is Jerome Baker? He is way too good to be this quiet. So I want to see Borland and Baker a lot this week in the opposing backfield. And I think that this is maybe going to be their best performance of the year so far.
1: Man, it's it's funny. I had completely forgotten about Tough Borland as a player on the roster entirely before the before the start of the season. I'm not I'm not afraid to admit that. He, even though he was a he was a four star guy, but certainly didn't have the uh, hype or reputation compared to some of these other linebackers that that are uh, have been recently added to the program. And it seemed like he might be recruited over or somebody that just participated in special teams. He really was outstanding. And my guess is. He's probably going to see the majority of the snaps against UNLV. I, I don't. I, if Worley's not a hundred, hundred percent, there's no reason to rush him back for this game. Um, and and the, you know you could you could bring in Keandre Jones or you could bring in some other guys if you need to. You know, give other linebackers some some playing time here. Um, uh, so you're right. Like th- that's going to be interesting. And uh, th- of course, the the other elephant in the room, um, outside of that. Uh, defensive tackling in space is going to be the progression of Ohio State's passing game. And I honestly was came away pretty satisfied and pleased with what I saw against army, even though there weren't a ton of downfield passing throws. Like for me, I'm I'm very pragmatic about this kind of thing. Like I don't really care how Ohio state moves the ball if they move the ball. And clearly army was with, with their, their scheme. Um, was giving Ohio State lots of opportunities to attack horizontally. And that's what they did. They, they did that efficiently and against the UNLV and quite frankly against basically everybody on the schedule other than like four teams. Ohio State's fast enough. Or I think you can do that and break a tackle and, and there's your intermediate passing game, you know, bubble screening somebody to death. It would be nice to see... I think some more intermediate passing completions. I don't, Ohio State really didn't attempt that many. And and yeah, it looks like Barrett missed two of them and there was an Austin Mac line uh, route miscommunication. But I you know if, if you see one or two of those that, that, that work to, that were, are su- successfully executed, I think that's a big positive. But I'm more interested in continued efficiency from the passing game rather than necessarily execution on a pass play of, of X number of yards and Ohio State uh, offense efficiency against army was their best. It's been in like three years. And so if you keep showing performances like that, I'm, I'm happy no matter what happens.
0: I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something everybody wants to see. But at this point, we've seen enough of JT Barrett and these receivers to know that like, that's even saying that that would be a weakness, I think would be a compliment. For them, It's just something that I, I don't think is going to work, and there are other things that we saw last week that suit not only Barrett's skill set, but the wide receiver skill sets much better, and those RPOs, which we saw for really the first time under Urban Meyer, I think is the direction that this offense needs to go for the rest of the season, and it'll be interesting to see how much of a continuation we see from that, because we saw a lot of it last week, but we've seen before that they'll dabble offensively in some of these different concepts, And then they'll go away for a game. We saw a lot of crossing routes and mesh against Indiana. And I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing at least as much of it in the Oklahoma game as we saw in week one. So I'll be interested to see how much they stick with that because I think it's their best option in the passing game. And when you have receivers that aren't your true 6-1 or 6-2 threats, like Terry McLaurin or K.J. Hill, or or paris campbell for that matter that are going to go over the middle and be guys to jump up and fight for the ball in space then use their speed use what they're good at get them horizontally and all the ohio state receivers for their flaws and we saw a couple holding penalties last week they all know how to block and they're all willing blockers at the very least so let those guys do what they're good at. And I, I want to see them hit that really hard again. And for all of JT Barrett's flaws, one thing he's always been great at is making reads. So I think that not only does it suit him that it keeps the ball, you know, within five yards of the line of scrimmage, but he's also good at those reads. So utilize him and the receivers to their strength. Let's see that in it all comes back to the running game as well. That's what they're the best at, and I'd like to see J.K. Dobbins get a lot of early touches because that was something that we didn't see against Army, and if they really want to get off to a roll and open up that passing game, then give the ball to your best player.
1: So I have an absolutely thermonuclear question about Mr. Dobbins. What would it take for him to be in the Heisman conversation? And, and, and as ridiculous as this may sound right now, let, let's let's actually let's take a look at some at some numbers here, because um, this is a guy that's not getting, um, you know, uh, fifty yards, you know, fifty carries a game. But right now across the entire country, he is eighth in rushing in rushing yards and r- rushing yards. You know, four four hundred twenty five, but it's only on fifty five carries. Most of the guys ahead of him have at least twenty. So you give him twenty more carries, he's right up with Bryce Love and Rashad your your top rushing right back to the country in terms of his um, you know y- yards per attempt he's right there in the, in the in the top 25 here as well if he has you know the next three games or so are opportunities where he could get a bunch of yards like if he's in the top six of rushing yards by mid-october like it's not crazy to think about that is it
0: no absolutely not if you go back and look I, I don't think if they get him the ball seven or eight more times they beat Oklahoma. But if that happens and they were to win that game, I think he would be in that conversation. And we've seen kind of the paradigm shift in the Heisman talk since Johnny Manziel, and maybe even before with Tim Tebow, where if you're a freshman or sophomore and you're putting up big numbers, especially for a blue blood, and I know that you've done research on this, you're going to be put into the spotlight. The one thing that I think, though— is it may take a little bit, as you're saying, because he'll probably put up good numbers against UNLV. He'll put up good numbers against Rutgers in Maryland and probably Nebraska, too. But where we'll really see whether that has any legitimacy in legs is against Penn State. And if they beat Penn State and he has a huge game, then I think you see him vault into that conversation. But the way he's going right now, you know, I don't think that it's – it's certainly not unreasonable – unreasonable to say that he's going to be in that top 10 discussion by the end of the year the only thing that's really going to hold him back though I think is how many carries is he going to get once conference play comes around are they going to shift their backfield to being more of a balance between him and Mike Weber I just don't see him getting even the amount of touches that somebody like Saquon Barkley does. So he may not have the sheer numbers at the end of the year, but I think on a per play basis, he's definitely going to have a case to be one of the best running backs in the country.
1: The the question about carries, I think is a really good one. And I, I really don't know what's going to happen with Weber at this point. If, I mean, I don't know what his health situation is like going into UNLV. This would be a very good week to, to feed him the ball more than two or three times. You know, if he's healthy, he deserves that. Um, but if he's not... By like you know, like by, by by Rutgers Week or by Maryland Week, do you do you do you just shut him down? You know, or do you put him in there as a decoy or something? It seems almost not fair to him. It's a it's a it's a tough thing to have. From my research on this, um, basically, if you if you're the best offensive player on a team that's in the top ten, you are going to be close in the Heisman conversation. I think if Ohio State makes the college football playoff uh, and Dobbins is you know rushes for 13 1400 yards which is, is very possible at this point yeah he could go to new york um, being able to continue to put up superlative numbers against kind of in competition unfortunately is is part of it and then you don't necessarily have to go for 130 against penn state you can go for 80 and catch for 20 yards and if you win the game you'll you'll still be in there you don't necessarily have to have that moment but it's it's you know there's been three games but it's not crazy to to actually begin to talk about this a little bit.
0: No, it's not at all. And I think you'll see a lot of that against UNLV. Like I said, they rank 126th in defensive S&P Plus, And teams have not been shy at running the ball on them, no matter what the situation is this year. And that's small sample. They've only played two games. But I would like to see from Ohio State's perspective, them be a little more run happy on early downs. Right now they're eighty second in standard downs run rate and I get working on the passing game early in the season, but do what you're best at. Run the ball and as of right now he's their best player. So I think early enough, and often against UNLV I'd like to see Dobbins get those carries. And we saw against Army, I don't think the offense was slogging by any means, but that drive where it was two plays, seventy four yards, you see that he he is really a kick in the ass for this team and a real burst of energy for an offense that's been searching for a big play guy for the last almost three seasons. And whether that's out of the backfield in the screen game or just handing him the ball, he's their most explosive player and he gives them that added dimension that they haven't had running or throwing in a while.
1: No, you're 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 right. You it's it's weird that um given how well has States recruited nearly everywhere else that this is, is the big playmaker at this point, you would have hoped maybe that some of this would have come from players who are a little bit older, but you take it where you get it. Let me ask you this and we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, I feel like on paper, this is the weakest uh, s- schedule in terms of like a national college football slate yet. And and that's always a dangerous thing to say because that's typically when the actual good games are or when weirdness happens, but we got the, the Buckeyes are at noon. And that's the same time as nc state florida state which for my money is is the most interesting other game that's happening early houston texas tech is interesting we're not going to be watching that either what else are you interested in uh on saturday or is this is this a day where you watch the ohio state game until it's a blowout and then you you do take care of your familial responsibilities
0: i am fully invested in this saturday and and i'll tell you why i got a list of about eight or nine games here and it's it starts with florida state they haven't played in what three weeks now and they're gonna have a new quarterback i'm interested to see how that offense looks not only coming off the rust of not playing in a couple weeks but Going up against a very good NC State defensive line, I don't think Florida State will lose, but I want to see how they look against that front for NC State. AM Arkansas is a game that I think takes the uh, the Mad Online game of the week trophy, depending on who loses, because AM's already in a state of disarray. And Arkansas, I think, quietly hasn't gotten off to uh, as good of a start as they should have. So I'm interested to see those two games early on. What do you, what do you think about either of those?
1: Yeah. I, you know, Arkansas is in this really weird place right now. Cause they owe Bielema so much stinking money that they really can't, you know, barring some kind of scandal. Like they're, they're really stuck with Burt, not just for this season, but I think for next year as well. And, and I think that the honeymoon now is starting to end as uh, especially in the beginning of the year, Arkansas is continuing to struggle a little bit. Um, I don't really see how things at AM and end well when you have regents that are publicly calling for your ouster. And we've got, a, we've got some reporting for explanation.com that we're, we're, that we're looking at there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean like I going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at the office. So I'll have one of those games on the, on the second television. It's, it's the rest of the rest of the day. There's a couple, there's a few intriguing 3:30 games. So th- I think that the prime time slate is really not very good. Um, this, this this is a, a good candidate, I think, to maybe go to, bed, to go to bed a little bit early or go out to the bars and, and, and not worry so much. But at 3.30, a couple of things here, friends, for your in- interest. The the big game, uh, TCU and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's really, really good. They're fun to watch because they throw the ball a gajillion times a, a game, and they score in a bunch of different ways. This is the best team that they've played after just um Pitt. Poor Pitt. Yeah, poor – well – Sure, <laughs> poor, 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 poor pit. but there, there's two other games here that are, I think are sneaky interesting. Um, there is USC playing at a way better than we expected Cal, uh, a Cal team who has now knocked off two power five opponents. Um, you know, granted, they're North Carolina and Old Miss and both those have some questions, but they're 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 their fundamentals on defense are so much better than they've been over the past couple of seasons. And USC started slowly the past couple of games like this. This is a good candidate for a, um, maybe a trap game potentially for the Trojans and the, the same situation here for Toledo at Miami. Miami hasn't played in a couple of weeks. They're back. Uh, they've got a really fun defense. They're hosting a very good Toledo squad. I think Miami's going to win, but that's definitely something where you might flip around and say, Oh, what it's, it's a four point game with seven minutes to go. Like what's going on that. Th- those two things are interesting. And then of course the most important big 10 game of the day outside of Ohio state, Michigan at Purdue.
0: That's so crazy to say. I'm, 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 I'm legitimately not being sarcastic. So just as a quick breakdown, because I'm looking at this game in, I've watched Michigan these first three weeks and the offense has been less than it's like you Ohio State fans want to complain about the offense here Michigan fans are right there with you Wilton Spate has been bad now Tariq Black is out with an injury There, star freshman receiver and they just can't seem to get things going so Purdue looks great last week against Missouri the offense got a ton of love but the defense held Missouri's offense to three points Michigan's a 10-point favorite how you feeling about this game yeah, I think Michigan's gonna win, but I do think they're gonna sweat it a little bit. And
1: it's it's Purdue is so much more fun. They have shown this willingness to just completely empty their playbook and try a bunch of weird stuff. And you're gonna have to do that. You're gonna move the ball against this Michigan defense. They spread the they spread the field uh, with with their with their passing game. They've done some interesting things with tempo. My my worry here is I feel like. Michigan's front seven is still really, really, really good, despite being young. But you might be able to beat them by taking the top off of them. And this is going to be, you know, a a difficult thing for Ohio State, too. I don't – Purdue doesn't really have that vertical passing game right now either. Um, It it is kind of a strength versus strength sort of situation here. Michigan's offense looks worse than Ohio State's. You're right. it's, It's young. Everywhere except for quarterback and and Wilton Spates, he kind of he kind of is what he is. I think that they're going to get better over the course of the season, but it's gonna. I, I'm really happy for Purdue fans because they have not had a reason to just like sell out their home stadium and be really excited and like they think they can win this game. And that we haven't had that at Ross Aid in like six years. So I imagine Michigan's probably still going to win by like ten or thirteen points, but. We're going to learn a lot about Michigan, and we're going to learn a, lot, learn a lot about Purdue. And I'm happy that they have picked themselves off the mat here.
0: What a time. Last time Purdue beat Michigan was in 2009. They also beat him in 2008. What an era that was. But a couple other things that I'm interested to see before we get out of here. Alabama's offense— Versus Vanderbilt's defense. Alabama has been really one-dimensional this season. And Calvin Ridley's been their only true receiving threat. And really their only wide receiver to do anything. So I want to see how they look against Derrick Mason's defense. They played really well against K-State last week. Uh, Penn State, Iowa. Just to see how Penn State plays in that environment. Night game in uh, in kinnick so i think they'll win i don't think they should have any trouble but that's always a tough place to play we'll see ohio state i think struggle there later in the season when they have to play uh rutgers nebraska if only to see if nebraska is capable of losing that game too after losing to northern illinois if they lo- if they
1: lose that game you have to fire mike riley immediately i actually don't think that they're going to fire him at all because you have an athletic director who's really invested in riley's success um, you're at a point where you know they might have to they might have to hire a new basketball coach too, and uh, you know the cleaning house in their athletic department completely all uh, at once is a little bit risky. Um, and they have a they have some good recruiting classes coming in, um, but this year's team is bad. They don't have an offensive identity. Their secondary is atrocious. They're transitioning, uh, you know, from a th- from three four and four three and everything, and uh, they're still a lot better than Rutgers.
0: But boy, howdy! Like if they if they lose there, you have to make a change like that day last thing if you're interested in some Pac-12 after dark there is some late late night depending on where you live Pac-12 Washington at Colorado I'll be at that game it's an eight o'clock local kickoff so 10 if you're on the east coast I am not really looking forward to this because I think that Washington's gonna destroy CU much like they did last year CU's offense isn't quite what I thought it would be this year but Washington's also looked a little bit shaky the the only thing that I don't want CU to do is punt to Dante Pettis I don't know why teams keep doing that because he keeps returning him for touchdowns but if you're interested in any uh, very late night Pac-12 after dark Washington and CU is going to be your jam
1: I will probably not watch that but maybe for some of you you may and and that could you know
0: it, it, it could be interesting Lastly, before we get out of here, we asked you guys on Twitter today what things that you were most interested to see from Ohio State and want to get your responses here on the show. So we had a tweet from Evan Razor at E underscore razor 7. He said, receivers creating separation, JT connecting in the vertical passing game. That was something we talked about. If you're looking for vertical passing – This team may, 2017 Ohio State may not be your jam, but if they're able to have some success with play action, maybe that's something we see later on in the season. Jordan Steele at the Jordan Steele, wants J.K. Dobbins to get 20 carries. That's something I think that everybody can agree on. Andrew Ardle at Andrew Ardle says improve linebacker play, something we talked about earlier. Will be interesting to see how much tough Borland plays if Jerome Baker can improve and then what if anything Ohio State can get from that other outback, outside linebacker spot? Craig James said a 30-plus point win. And my last question for you, Matt, since we haven't really predicted the game, what do you think is is the most likely outcome for this one?
1: I think Ohio State wins by 30. Give me like Ohio State 45, UNLV, you know 13, 14, some, something something in that in that category here. Buckeyes get off to a fast start. Um, Rebels score you know once or twice in the second quarter, and then the Ohio State's depth just buries them.
0: I think you're on the right track, and I, I think that this is going to be Ohio State's most impressive win of the season, at least in terms of raw points, and I'll go somewhere along the lines of 52-17. to 17. You're going to see Ohio State with the ball a lot in this game. It's I think that they would have scored 50-plus points if Army didn't hold onto the ball last week, so you'll kind of see more of what they were able to do offensively last week against UNLV Dobbins has a big game. JT Barrett gets a lot of yards after catch from the receivers. Defense plays well. UNLV maybe gets on a garbage touchdown. And they win 52 to 17. We want to thank you guys for interacting with the show. Make sure to do so by sending us a tweet at LandGrant33. You can also send me a tweet by telling me what you think about the show or anything else Ohio State related at DubsCo. Matt, where can they find you?
1: I'm at Matt. SBN on Twitter. So you can shoot me an email, matt.brown at sbnation.com, and you can buy my book about weird college football what-if questions. It's called What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions. It's on Amazon, it's on Kindle, and it's in my Twitter bio.
0: Make sure to buy Matt's book. It is phenomenal. I've already read it. I wouldn't lie to you guys. It's a great book. Also, make sure to visit the site, landgrantholyland.com, and find the show, soundcloud.com slash land or on Apple Podcasts by searching the hangout in the holy land that's probably a good place to wrap up we want to thank you guys for listening to the show hope you guys enjoy the game saturday and you have a good weekend for matt brown i'm colton denning the spot was good and go bucks